Hello everyone, good evening, and welcome to an episode of Everyday Black History. I'd like to welcome you all on this February 5th, it's Friday, and uh, hopefully you all had a good week, hopefully it wasn't a stressful week, hopefully it was a productive week, and now that the weekend's here, hopefully you'll get some time to relax. Now we're in the month of Black History, <laughs> Black History Month, the month of February, so we had to uh, come and, you know, definitely bring some content. It's been a couple of weeks. It's, you know, it's been a busy couple of weeks, you know, the, the day job, you know, calls and, you know, you got to pay them bills. So been busy with my day job. And so the last couple of weeks, I wasn't able to to, uh, you know, get some episodes going out. On my last episode about Anthony Crawford, I was going to my next episodes were going to be interviews that I conducted off of um, um, between two women who were, were involved in a documentary on Anthony Crawford. But like I said, the day job kept um, came calling and, you know, things got busy and I just didn't have time to complete the editing on those interviews. So I'm definitely going to bring those interviews. I promise I have, you know, a, a few interviews lined up that I just got to edit and then I'm going to release. And especially during Black History Month, I'm going to put a lot of those interviews out and just in general, you know, you know, put out more content. But uh, like I said, it's been a couple of weeks since I've done an episode. And so since it's Black History Month, I just wanted to put some content out. And since it's February 5th already, I had to put some content out. Um, but I, I promise I will get those interviews, you know, edited and, and, and release those uh, shortly. Um, like I said before, uh, they're fascinating interviews, these women. They uh, they put a lot of time into this project and um, working, you know, with the family of Anthony Crawford to to uh, bring his name and his his history to light. So stay tuned for those. But for today on um, for today's episode of Everyday Black History, we are going to we're going to talk about two businessmen that were in that were in the oil business. Now, when you think about the oil business, you don't really think about um, black Americans being involved in it. And unfortunately, even to this day, there's a, a low percentage of of, um, of people of African descent who are involved in oil. I mean, in Nigeria, there's a lot of oil. Even in Ghana, there's oil. But Nigeria has is, is a huge source of oil. So let me rephrase that. Black and It's not a lot of black Americans that are involved in the oil business. Uh, but like I mentioned, Nigeria does have a lot of oil and there are Africans um, Nigerians who are involved in the oil business out there in the um, in the continent of Africa, but there's a lot of Black Americans that aren't that you know aren't involved in the oil business or that weren't involved. But there were two brothers who I stumbled upon when I, I just happened to be looking up, you know, Black-owned oil fields, and I was like, you know, let me see if there's any you know um, um, you know people who look like us who was in that business and the reason why i stumbled upon it is because in the documentary about anthony crawford it talks about how a lot of black landowners there were some black owned oil fields throughout the throughout the years when the oil boom happened and the cause of a lot of lynching that happened to um blacks during the early 20th century was because of land you know the 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 theft of land and a, and a property and and um that they, that they were taken from black families. You know, a lot of it had to do with jealousy when, when they were successful black men and women who acquired a lot of land. It led to jealousy from their white neighbors and counterparts. And it 
resulted in that hor- those horrible crimes. So I stumbled upon some, you know, two black men who were in the oil business and um, that, you know, built companies and that not not they didn't just stay in the oil business. They moved on to other businesses and they were very successful. So the first um, brother who we're going to talk about is a man by the name of Jake Simmons, Jr. And Jake Simmons, Jr. was a prominent oil man and he was born January 17th, 1901. Um, And he came from humble beginnings and he became the most successful and most recognizable uh, black entrepreneur in the history of the oil industry. Um, he uh, was known as an, an, uh, an oil broker internationally, and he partnered with different oil companies um, such as Phillips Petroleum Company and Signal Oil and Gas Company to open up African oil fields in Liberia, Nigeria, and Ghana. Um, he also was the first black person to be appointed to the National Petroleum Council in 1969. But a little bit of background information on him, as we mentioned, he was born in 1901 on January 17th in uh, Oklahoma, and he was the ninth of 10 children. Uh, He came from slaves. His great grandfather was a slave um, of the uh, Creek Indian tribe, and he became a chief as well as a leader for many of the freed Creek slaves. And uh, his father, you know, owned um, 500 acres of land in Oklahoma in the uh, Haskell um, um, area of Oklahoma. He owned over 500 acres. Um, so see, that's what I mean. Like there were, you know, you know, black men and women who owned land um, during this time. And this is another example of it. 500 acres is a tremendous amount of land. Um, as a child, you know, Jake Simmons, he repaired fences and worked cattle. And at the age of 10, he told his father that he wanted to be an oil man. So he already knew at that young age what he wanted to do. And he set out to do that. Um, on Booker T. Washington, when he went to Oklahoma on one of his trips, he spent the night at the Simmons's ranch. And he convinced uh, um, Jake Simmons to attend the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. And uh, from Booker T. Washington, Jake learned to... Uh, to love work for his for its own sake, you know, working for for himself, and learn that success depends on an ability to charm and to motivate people, and to be in the business that he became good in, he had to be able to talk to people, he had to be able to you know sell people. Now, after he um, graduated from Tuskegee in 1919, he got married and he moved to Detroit, Michigan. Um, unfortunately, he got divorced and then moved back to Oklahoma and got married again. But in his involvement in the oil business, um, since he was a member of the Creek Nation, he received 160 acres of land when the tribe disbanded. And in the 1920s, um, oil flowed on his hand. So he got land, 160 acres, that was extremely valuable. During these years, when you found oil on your land, you automatically knew that you were rich. You automatically knew it. In the 1920s, um, yeah, as mentioned, he he struck oil and he began. Uh, he became an oil broker and an entrepreneur by buying and selling oil leases, and he started a real estate business from there. 
during the Great Depression, he sold uh, Oklahoma farmland to uh, African-Americans in East Texas who made money in the oil business as well. Because there were other, you know, as mentioned, black folks that made uh, money in the oil boom. And I'm going to make it a point to look for more of them, um, you know, just to, to show more of us that did make money in the oil boom during this time. But he uh, was selling land in East Texas to uh, black Americans. And um, he also expanded his oil leasing and trading business into the Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Kansas states. Um, he dealt with different oil barons um, as well. You know, the well-known oil barons of the time, William Skelly, founder of Skelly Oil, and Frank Phillips, founder of Phillips Petroleum. He worked with them. And um, he also uh, got, in, got in touch with another brother who was involved in the oil business, a man who we're going to talk about next by the name of Lee Wilder Thomas. And, um, you know, they uh, together built the Simmons Royalty Company and expanded into cattle and insurance. Uh, In the 1960s, uh, Jake worked as an intermediary in multi-million dollar deals between major American oil companies and newly independent African nations. And he became internationally recognized in the oil business for his work in that field. Um, As mentioned before, in 1969, he was appointed to the National Petroleum Council. He was also, you know, uh, involved in civil rights because, you know, that's important. You know, um, whenever you you become successful, you make a lot of money, especially like the way they did. It's always important, especially especially at, at any time, but especially during these times when racial discrimination was so like in your face. You know, it was important to be involved in civil rights. And Jake Simmons refused to be a victim of bigotry. And he told his children, you are equal to anyone. But if you think you're not, you're not. So it's what it starts within you. And he taught he uh, taught that jobs were the key to economic empowerment for African-Americans. And he helped um, African-Americans to gain skills in his business. And then he helped them find jobs in other businesses as well. He once quoted he was once quoted as saying, it's a waste of life for a man to fail to achieve when he has the opportunity. And Jake was a person who took advantage of every opportunity that came his way. In 1938, uh, he filed one of the early court cases against separate schools and took it all the way to to the Supreme Court. And he was also the president of the NAACP in uh, Oklahoma. And he also presided over the Negro uh, Business League. And the Negro Business League was an organization um, that was founded by Booker T. Washington to promote the interests of uh, African-American businesses. Um, his family, you know, as he mentioned, he got married. He had children as well. And his son, uh, J.J. You know, Jake um, the third, uh, was the vice president of the family business before he began recruiting, before he before he was recruited to work at the Interior Department during the Kennedy administration. And he also served in the Reagan administration as well, his son, as a member of the Interstate Commerce Commission. Um, another one of his sons, Donald, was an economist that took over the Simmons Royalty Company. Uh, his daughter was a social worker. Another one of his sons was a Harvard-educated professor of architecture at the University of California, Berkeley. So, um, as mentioned, he was very successful. He not only was a you know big-time oil man in the oil business, he was into real estate, he was into cattle, he was into insurance. 
and he even you know brokered deals in African nations as well, as well as helping to uplift you know um, you know black men and women to get more into business and in education. So you know we gotta salute um, you know Jake Simmons Jr. for his success um, and for his contribution to black history and black culture. As he mentioned, you know a lot of people don't know that there that you know people like him even existed and up until recently i didn't know but I, like i said i'm gonna make it a point to look up more information on um on uh, black men and women who did make money in the oil boom during this time but the next person we're gonna highlight is a brother by the name of lee wilder thomas and lee wilder thomas um was a you know prominent african-american business and oil man um, he was born in 1873, August 15th, and he was among the Lucky Land owners in um, Mexia, Texas, who struck oil. And in the early 1930s, he partnered up with Jake Simmons, and um, they built the Simmons Royalty Company, one of the leading African-American oil and mineral, mineral right royalty companies in the state of Oklahoma. Now, a little bit of background information on him is that he was born in uh, Texas and he was the only child born to his father, Boss Thomas and Betty Arbuckle. I mean, you think of a name like Boss Thomas, like, you know, you you, you see a brother with a name like that, you know, he carried himself a certain way and you, you got to respect that. Boss Thomas. I mean, come on. That's that's a that's a <laughs> that's quite a name. That's a, that's a boss name right there. But um, his father was in, um, he uh, was from Alabama who migrated and resettled in Texas. Um, uh, Lee, as a young boy, um, attended um, uh, church and he was found a calling to preach the gospel. So, because he's also known as Reverend Lee uh, W. Thomas as well. Um, he received his early education in Mexia and were later attending graduate from Wiley College in Marshall, Texas. After he graduated, he of course got married as well and he produced 13 children. 13. Wow. When you have 13 children, you know, you, you, you kind of have an, an incentive to, to be successful there. <laughs> but uh, in uh, 1912, a large natural gas deposit was was discovered by the uh, Mexia Gas and Oil um, Company. I hope I'm saying that right. If I'm not, I apologize. Mexia, that's what it looks like. But um, in 1912, there was a large gas deposit that was discovered by the Mexia Gas and Oil Company. And um, oil was found um, soon after in 1920. And as mentioned, he was among the lucky landowners um in that that to strike oil during that time and he had 10 producing uh 10 oil producing wells on his property and um there was a lot of people at that time that was striking oil and unfortunately the the excitement of the booming oil fields in those counties in texas fostered crime and social problems um in the area uh, it was so bad that the governor at that time had to order martial law um, because of the crime that was happening, the, the robberies and things like that. And it was during the 20s when um, when alcohol was illegal. So robbery, gambling, alcohol sales, all that caused them to, um, the governor to order martial law. But, you know, the boom rolled on and uh, Lee was one of the people who continued to 
make money and success in the oil boom. And at the end of 1922, the the fields, uh, his oil fields showed uh, uh, a marked uh, increase combined yearly yield of nearly 34.8 million barrels of oil. So he was making a killing, you know, um, with his barrels of oil. I mean, 34.8 million barrels, like that's how much oil he was producing on his property. So he was doing very well. And just think about it now, you know, it's like, I don't even know where the country gets the oil from. I don't know if it's still from the Middle East or anything, but during this time, there was brothers out there that was producing millions of barrels of oil. <laughs> but um, he, after that, he came to Oklahoma with a vision of, of establishing a community for African-Americans that were located, um, he, it's called Summit. Um, that was the idea in Summit, Oklahoma. And it was a, a community for African-Americans um, and he invested more than $100,000 in uh, buying up real estate in uh, um, a county in, in Oklahoma. And he divided the site into lots and put them up for sale, and as well as surrounding property, which he divided into small farms. And he said the land was to be sold to African-Americans with preference being given to those who were from Texas. Uh, he um, erected a building um, housing a general store and another as a real estate office. A cotton gin was under construction, and workmen were working around the clock to have it finished for the fall crop. He had a, a $12,000 house built on a nearby hill and was reserving adjoining lots. He was reserving adjoining lots for additional better class homes. So he had a, a vision here, and he put his money where his mouth was, and he put, put up a lot of money to make this happen. Um, they were growing cotton and peanuts, as well as uh, he was encouraging people to start growing vegetables um, for the for Tulsa for the Tulsa Oklahoma market and for other markets as well in uh, Oklahoma. So, you know, he like I said, he had this vision. He put his mind to it, and this was you know after the riots of Tulsa, Tulsa Oklahoma, uh, Black Wall Street. So you know, in a sense, he was you know trying to help rebuild you know what what was destroyed in 1921 um you know through his through his actions right with, with buying these properties it just wasn't in Tulsa it was in Summit but you know spending a hundred thousand dollars buying up land you know getting buildings built up putting you know people to work you know he was really you know trying to build up what was lost on Black Wall Street um, he was the president as well, as we mentioned, him and Jake Simmons were the president of their own oil and mineral rights company uh, during this time as well. Um, you know, but as mentioned, you know, he, you know, these brothers had vision, you know, they had vision and they had the, they, they, they had the, the gumption to follow it up. You know, they didn't just talk about doing things, they actually did it, you know, and, and they were successful in their lives and, you know, they, you know, had, they built up generational wealth. I mean, with 13 kids, like I said, you know, you got to do that. <laughs> but uh, they built up generational wealth and, you know, uh, Summit, Oklahoma is still around. It's still a highly African-American, you know, populated uh, um, county. Unfortunately, it's not, you know, what he envisioned today, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, that's due to practices like redlining and, things like that, the, the, that was meant to keep, you know, black people down. 
you know, unfortunately, through systematic racism, there's always, you know, um, institutions that, you know, banks and institutions that look to keep a predominantly African-American neighborhood down through practices like redlining and not, you know, lack of funding. So, you know, kids don't get education. There's people can't open up businesses, you know, or buy homes or if they do buy homes just through predatory lending. I mean, it, it can go on and on. But so unfortunately, you know, his dream for what he wanted for Summit today doesn't, you know, it's, it's not what he wanted. It's not what he would have wanted to see see for Summit, you know, unfortunately, uh, Summit, Oklahoma. But you know, just the fact that he had this vision and he put up so much money to make it happen, you got to respect him. He made it successful himself, um, got education. And, you know, this is why we got to salute, you know, Lee Wilder Thomas for his contribution to black history and black culture. And so many people don't know who him and Jake is, so we just wanted to give them a shout out and um, and talk about them on Everyday Black History today, just so that people can hear those names and know that there were, you know, black Americans who made money in oil. You know, I, we all know Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller. You know, I mean, it, there's that movie, There Will Be Blood, who is based off different oil men, but we never seen people who look, you know, who are black that made money in oil. And now at least we know Lee Wilder Thomas and Jake Simmons Jr. So we just wanted to give them a shout out. And like I said, since it's Black History Month, I just wanted to put out some content. This has been a couple of weeks. And like I said, we will be coming with you with those interviews. So just stay tuned for those. But in the meantime, I'm going to continue to put out content since it's Black History Month. And it's important to, you know, you know, get, get the content out there and just, you know, um, you know, reach people with our history because it's important. So many people don't know about it. So, you know, uh, that concludes this episode of Everyday Black History. And we will be coming at you soon with more history. So stay tuned for the next episode. Y'all stay safe. Y'all stay healthy. And see you soon. <laughs>